Burns and Gambo. Big Red Reacts. Reaction to yesterday's Cardinals game. Brought to you by Wicopa Casino Resort, where world-class action meets Ford Diamond Splendor. Big Red Reacts. And yeah, normally we do this on a Big Red Monday. And yesterday, Tim and Howard Balzer were doing a live show. But it was a day off for a lot of people. Kind of Christmas observe for a lot of people. So we're treating today in some ways like a Monday. Looking back on the Cardinals' 1916 loss to Tampa Bay in overtime. Christmas night at State Farm Stadium. So let's relive the game and the moments that got us there. Cardinals playing with a lot of energy to start this game. It was very obvious on their first drive, even though Trace McSorley probably should have been intercepted, but it was dropped. The Cardinals facing a fourth down and instead decide to have Andy Lee become the first 40-year-old to complete a pass of the night. And it's going to be a fake, and Andy Lee throws underneath, and he hits his man at the 49-yard line for a first down, and it's backup linebacker Cameron Grugier-Hill. How about that? Andy Lee surprising everyone in the building with a completed pass on the fake punt for a first down. Completed a pass before Tom Brady completed a pass in that game. How about that? Right after, right after that, James Conner for 12, Dorch for 17. The cards were on the move. Birds. They were on the move, but it would not end well as Trace McSorley hit from behind. And he said again, McSorley looks towards the sideline. He's hit from behind. He's, he's sacked, and the ball is loose. A strip sack recovered in the open field around the 45. Trey McBride runs down the linebacker Devin White after Trace McSorley got blasted from behind almost instantly. A blindside strip sack and it's Tampa football. Tampa football and the Cardinals would get no points on a drive that was looking promising there to start the game. Uh, they drove all the way down to the 13-yard line and then you have a breakdown. It wasn't like Josh Jones missed the block on the play. It was more like an overload by Tampa. I mean, it was a miss. It was a miss something. Yeah, somebody Good missed something because there was nobody who was touching Nelson. It on was his way. good Tampa defense, bad Cardinal offense. The Cardinals were already down three nothing at this point. After the Bucks would give it up on fourth down, they went for it and they were stopped short as he had three shots to gain one yard. They weren't able to do it. Cardinals are able to tie the game at the end of the first quarter. Matt Prater from distance snap and hold are good, and then as an absolute howitzer with more than enough leg, and it splits the uprights. 56-yard field goal from Matt Brader, who's finishing this season on a high note. 3-3 game at that point. 56 yards. Why didn't Cliff kick the field goal at the end of the first half of the Patriots game? <laughs> I digress. <laughs> you know, all you're doing is pouring salt into the wounds. That's what you're doing. We go into the second quarter now, and the Bucks would go on a drive, fueled in part by a big run from Leonard Fournette. They would get a Ryan Suckup 35-yard field goal. They would take a 6-3 lead, and they would hold that for most of the second quarter until Tom Brady looking down the field to make a play, and he gets picked off for the first time by Marco Wilson. Quick snap. Brady from under center sets up, loads up, arm is hit, and the ball flails to the ground, and it's picked off by Marco Wilson inside the five. A diving pick, and he's loose across the 25-30, and then he's buried on the far sideline near the 42 yard line. Cam Thomas got to Tom Brady impacted the throw and then a well short of the receiver and into the arms of Marco Wilson who makes the pick. 
This is where I wrote down on my notes, Brady, WTF, question mark, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) It would lead to a 53-yard doink shot field goal by Matt Prater going into the locker room for halftime. So now we're tied 6-6 going into the second half. It was, as they pointed out on the TV broadcast, a pointless third quarter as neither team scored in that third quarter. But that doesn't mean nothing happened because Marco Wilson, for the second time in the game, picking off Tom Brady. Brady with time, steps up, fires, and picked off! Marco Wilson near sideline, intended for Mike Evans. Brady left it short, and Marco Wilson climbed the ladder and reeled in the pick. So 6-6 after three. (laughs) Not exactly... uh, Packers-Cardinals 2009 playoffs. Tom Brady, two interceptions, uh, six Tampa Bay points. But then things would start to happen in the fourth quarter. After a great punt return by Farrell Cooper, who jumps over a would-be tackler, it gave the Cardinals a very short field, and it set up this James Conner touchdown to give the Cardinals a 10-point lead. Solely under center. Give to Conner. Looking left. Runs off the tackle left side. 20-10. Races inside the five and into the end zone. James Conner houses it from 22 yards out. That's the Cardinals' run game, wearing down the defense in the fourth quarter, and it pays off with a first touchdown of the game. 16-6, Cardinals on top, 10-47 left. At that point, you're thinking, they may get a home win here. I, I, at that point, maybe. I was thinking, maybe? Maybe? Right? At that point, you just need a couple more plays on both sides of the ball. Yep, and you didn't get those plays. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers would get the ball back, and Leonard Fournette, this big 44-yard catch and run, would set up the next score for Tampa Bay. Leonard Fournette out of the backfield, a little swing pass. He's still loose at the 40, 45, 50. One man to beat at the 40, 35, 30. It's Jalen Thompson, and he takes him out of bounds near the 20-yard line. Huge gainer. We're talking 47 yards on the first down play by the Bucs. And it would lead to this touchdown from the former Sun Devil, Rashad White. Brady looking out of the gun, throws far sideline. Rashad White, the catch, and he dives to the pylon. Touchdown. Beats Marco Wilson to the corner of the end zone, and Tampa responds with its own touchdown drive. Zayden Collins and Isaiah Simmons each had Fournette on that 44-yard gain, dead to rights. Would have been about a four-yard gain. They both try to arm tackle him. Fournette, too big, too strong, too fast, ran right through it. Those guys got to get him on the ground there. Yeah, big time. Period. 16-13, the score at that point. In what might be the play of the game as it relates to whether the Cardinals were going to win this thing or not. The, the Cardinals would get the ball back third and one. And at this point, trying to kill as much clock as they possibly can. Trace McSorley in at quarterback with the third and one quick pitch to Keontae Ingram. McSorley and a quick pitch to Ingram, and the ball hits the turf, and Tampa recovers. Instead of James Conner, straight up the gut, they tried a quick pitch to the left. And Keontae Ingram was in motion, and instead the ball hit the turf. William Golston pounces on it, the big defensive tackle, and it's Buccaneer ball. Oh, my. Yep. Oh, my. I mean, the Cardinals were at the 41-yard line, Birds. They were, they were not quite in Prater's range yet. But at third and one, 
even if Ingram doesn't get it, they're in they're in four down territory with a chance to not only move the sticks but also bleed the clock. I mean, there was less than five minutes to go in the game. The clock was the Cardinals' friend at that point. Yep. So you're going to either you're going to either bleed more clock, get a first down, or both, or get a touchdown, or get three points. I mean, just critical. Ter- I, I asked Cliff about it yesterday. Like, you know, you don't regret the call. I know a lot of people do. And why don't you give it to James Conner? How about your two NFL players execute a very simple play? Yeah. It's a pitch out. Pitch. Pitch it, catch it, run it. Yeah. Even I, if you, and if you don't get it, you don't get it. You go for it on fourth down. I had a James Conner thought in my mind, too. And I get that. But that's not a complicated play that no. you're asking Trace McSorley and Keontae Ingram to do. Right? It's a pitch. Shouldn't be that tough. It was that tough. They would get a field goal as uh, the Buccaneers would answer. Ryan Suckup ties the game 16-16. We go into overtime. Trace McSorley intercepted at the end of the game. Uh, Hail Mary situation. They would go into overtime. Cardinals would get the ball first. They wouldn't do anything with it. The Buccaneers would get it. Mike Evans did do something with it. And to the air goes Brady. Mike Evans on a deep... Route to the far sideline, caught, and that'll be a first down for Tampa at the 33-yard line of Arizona. Brady recognized the blitz and got it to Mike Evans. Oh, my goodness. And it led to Ryan Suckup hitting the game winner for the Bucs. Snap is down. Hold is good. The kick is up. Definitely has the leg, and it is good. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers walk it off in overtime. The game-winning 40-yard field goal. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers pull it out against the Cardinals. 19-16 is your final. Yeah, you know, Burns, I talked about this a little bit on the postgame show. You look back at a game like this and you look at all the different points and parts that the Cardinals could have won the football game, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime. Again, we talked about it a minute ago, just a play here or a play mm-hmm. there. First down here, first down there, stop here, stop there. I did want to go back to overtime. And, and again, I touched on this on, on Cardinals overtime on Sunday night after the game. You know, they're, they're in no hurry. The, 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 the clock is not an issue. You get that opening kick in overtime. You got James Conner on your team. You're running the football pretty well. Connor's running it for over five yards a carry. Trace McSorley's making his first NFL start. You got one first down. Why are you coming out throwing the football all over the place and running Hollywood Brown on on, on jet sweeps? I I just thought at that point it was almost like they, they acted as if they were in a two-minute drill and they got to throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. You got all the time in the world to try to matriculate down that field yeah. to get at least three, if not seven. And they and, and, they and felt like they were rushed. And they were and they were rushing. And you're through, through a second. You, you, you run Hollywood Brown and, you, you, and you're throwing it to Dorch incomplete. And then you on third and nine, you're, you're chucking it forty yards down the sidelines to Hopkins with the safety over the top, and that play's got no chance. And it's just like like what are you doing? Yeah. Let's just let's establish something here and move the football down the field. You're not up against the clock. Again, it's just it was just something I, I, I that bothered me. That's Big Red Reacts. Look back at the game on Sunday night. The Cardinals lose to the Buccaneers 19-16. When we come back, is Cliff Kingsbury going to resign from his job before Michael Bidwell can fire him himself? It's a question that a lot of Cardinal fans were talking about all weekend. We'll talk about it next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. 
Shiverings in for Gambo today here on the Burns and Gambo Show. We'll be the rest of the week. Now, I know Tim was also filling in yesterday. We didn't do a lot of local programming, but Tim did do a show with Howard Balzer from 10 until 2. 10 until 2. And you had Cliff on the show for his weekly appearance. We did. And um, I know he was, you were uh, especially a lot of conversation about the quarterback and is Colt McCoy going to get back in time and for these last two games and yeah. try to see whether he's going to play. You know, but. sadly, the uh, the Buda Baker news broke, oh, 16.2 seconds after we hung up with Cliff. Yeah. Coincidence? I don't know. <laughs> but, bro, you, but, you didn't get a chance to ask him about Buda Baker. No, and I would have loved to not only ask him about Buda Baker and the injury and also kind of put a put a, put a a wrap on what has been a sensational season for Buda Baker, but we didn't know about it during that during that time. So, yes, to answer your question, we talked a little bit about, obviously, you know, the, 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 the Buccaneers game and and what he plans to do with his quarterback situation going forward. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's as cut and dry as if Colt's healthy, he goes. Maybe it is. I'm just not. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what, what uh, he he. I read some of the quotes, and it makes it sound like it would be, you know, that they want to, especially if Colts can end up being the starting quarterback next year while Kyler recovers from the ACL surgery, which we now know he's going to have on January third. Then you know there was some talk about hey, it'd be good to you know keep building some momentum with him, but then that gives rise to the question of who's going to be the head coach next year. Is it going to be Cliff? Is it going to be Sean Payton? Is it going to be somebody else? The story that I think caught a lot of people's attention, and I know you discussed this yesterday with Howard, so we'll, we'll if it's all right, we'll have another conversation about it because you know there, for some people who were kind of in the holiday days the last few days, maybe you didn't see it or you didn't dive that deep into it. If you've been under the influence for the last seventy-two hours, we are here for you today. We, that, that's it's a public service <laughs> announcement here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Um, a big story uh, on ESPN.com: Are the Cardinals nearing the end of the road with Cliff Kingsbury? And it, it covered the story that we're all very familiar with, kind of the dysfunction right now. Kyler, Kime, Bidwell, Cliff, from from all angles. Um, the question that we teased going into the segment, I think, is one that you and I, without one single source, can both safely answer. Cliff Kingsbury is not going to resign from his job. And he said as much during his press conference yesterday. He was asked a question about whether he considered walking away, and the answer was no. And even though that suggestion was raised in the story, multiple people close to him have wondered whether he would walk away, given the financials at stake here. I'll give you $45 million why he won't walk away. $45 million reasons why he wouldn't he walk walking away. away. He ain't walking away. You don't want me to be your coach, you know, as much as I might not like it here, as miserable as I might be here. You don't want me to be your coach. You can go right on ahead and fire me, and we can start negotiating what that's going to look like. I'm not going to take the easy way out by quitting and giving you that pass like that. Or as we get a few days away from this, and this is just this is just me talking, right? A couple guys talking. Yep, that's what we're doing. Could it be somebody in Cliff Kingsbury's camp knowing that Cliff would just really rather be someplace else at this point? Mm-hmm. Like, just just let me go to my next gig because I ain't having this anymore. Tired of the BS, as they said Cliff was. Yeah. Saying that he's so disgusted that he's going to walk away, or he may just walk away, sends a message to Mike Bidwill that Cliff ain't all about this anymore. So you might want to think about making a change. Mm -hmm. So the person who's close to Cliff, 
maybe it's a, oh, I don't know, an agent puts that out there and says, Cliff, Cliff doesn't want to be here anymore. Hates it so much he might want to walk away. So you, Mr. Boss Man, may just want to fire him. Yeah. So he can collect his money and get on his way. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think about that uh, yeah. scenario? I, I think that scenario. Look, you, you and I both collectively have been doing this a long time. Uh, I, I read this story, and it. I won't go so far as to say that it paints Cliff out to be the victim, but it certainly paints what? this picture of a lot of things that are going on that aren't Cliff's fault. And in some ways, it, it almost feels like it almost feels like a. Um, almost like a cover letter to your next employer, right? Like, look at all this stuff I've had to deal with. Look at all of this stuff that's had to go on around here. And it almost feels like a, a, I don't know how else to say it, like a cover letter that you would attach to your resume, knowing that you're probably going to need your resume here in a couple of weeks. Right. Hopefully at this point, everybody listening has actually read the story because I know Dave and I are not taking the time to go over the fine points of everything that was written, but it was damning. This was a damning article about the culture within the Cardinals organization right now. Make no mistake about it. Burns, you bring up an excellent point. And this is where I think Josh Weinfuss and Jeremy Fowler really did a fine job with this story. And I'm going to tell you why. There is definitely a source that they spoke to that is in the Kingsbury camp that was trying to make Cliff look like he is a blameless victim in this season. Just like you said, sending a message to the next employer that Cliff's hands were tied. And this goes back to certain elements of the story, such as this. Uh, Steve uh, Steve Kime not being in the building or available as much as he's been in the past. Mm-hmm. Cliff not getting the institutional support that he was hoping for. Uh, Cliff tired of the BS. Cliff wanting to make a coaching change and the owner not allowing him to do so. Uh, Cliff not having the personnel to run his offense. Uh, Cliff having to deal with the attitude of Kyler Murray. And Cliff worried about Kyler Murray's attitude rubbing off poorly on his teammates. And I'm paraphrasing all of these, so these are not direct quotes, but this is the story that that permeated the the article. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a lot of that just smells of somebody in Cliff's camp, like, I don't know, say an agent, Mm -hmm. making Cliff look like, you know, his hands have been tied in this whole thing. But again, to a credit to Weinfuss and Fowler, they went out and got other people to comment on the record. Or excuse me, off off the like anonymously, uh, uh, but, anonymously, but, yeah. but but with but with quotes, yeah. We, and it was about well, Cliff doesn't have, and and again, former players, Cliff doesn't have, Cliff doesn't, Cliff hold doesn't guys, like confrontation, and he, he doesn't, doesn't hold guys accountable. Yes, he, he doesn't have he the personality to hold guys accountable, and that's where he's failed in this whole thing. So there was there were other sources then quoted in the story that right. says, whoa, 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 this is not a woe is me. You know, poor Cliff. You know, Cliff can also shoulder some of the blame in what has gone on here in the last couple of years. And that's why I checked myself a little bit when I I said it paints Cliff out to be the victim, because it doesn't completely and wholly 
paint Cliff to be the victim, right? There are certainly portions of the story, and the, the one in particular you mentioned, where you know Cliff doesn't like confrontation. Players have noticed that. Players think he doesn't hold other guys accountable the way he should. Yep. I mean, it wasn't one hundred percent. Hey, this is everybody else but Cliff's fault. But it did. It did it, to me read very much like a Cliff knows this is about to end, and Cliff, you know, is is kind of preparing himself for that next job by kind of pointing out to everybody exactly what's you know from his perspective or from that perspective what exactly has been going on behind the scenes with this organization i mean it just it continues to paint this very very you know with broad strokes here massive changes coming to this organization i mean at this point it's it's there's no denying that it's it's i I don't know how it can't at this point that it's just a countdown until we get to that day two weeks from now whenever it's going to be because at this point it feels like there's nothing left to not change outside of the franchise quarterback that you just gave all that money to that you probably couldn't even if you wanted to. Right, and, and, and also I I, I, have to, I want to be clear on this too. It, 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 while Cliff Kingsbury needs to be accountable for what's happened as well, it's not that some of these things that he's complaining about to his confidants that then talk to Fowler and aren't true. Aren't true. Yeah. I mean, if Steve Kime, if Steve Kime is less available for whatever reason that's going on with him in his personal life, that's a problem. If Cliff Kingsbury is unable to reel in an assistant coach and wants him off the staff for whatever reason, and he's unable to do it, I could see where where that would bother Cliff. If it's having relationship issues with Kyler Murray and can't reach him, that's an issue. If if Kyler Murray's being a little pain in the you-know-what and Cliff is struggling with that, I feel feel for him in that regard. But at the same time, you're the head coach. You are the head coach. You, you you have to run the ship. Yep. Some of this has to fall back on you. You have to look in the mirror. This this cannot be a woe is me type of situation. And through one source, or maybe a couple Cliff Camp sources in that article, that is what the picture wanted to be painted about Cliff. Texas, your thoughts on the Cardinals to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now when we come back without Devin Booker. The Suns desperately need other players to step up. How much more can we expect from Mikel Bridges? And when will we see the real Chris Paul? Or is this the real Chris Paul? That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Tim Ring is in for Gambo today, 3.30 in the afternoon tonight. Suns and the Memphis Grizzlies, 6 o'clock tip time, 5.30 pregame. So we're a little on the short side today here on the Burns and Gambo Show. We'll be back with you tomorrow. If you've missed the news about the Suns, Dwayne Rankin, who covers the team for AZ Central, tweeted out this morning that Devin Booker has returned to Phoenix for further evaluation for his groin strain. He started the game Christmas night against the Nuggets, had to leave after four minutes. It's game one of a six-game road trip, so the fact that he's been sent home, um, while you know we don't want to speculate randomly on what it could mean, certainly it does kind of have a somewhat ominous tone to it that they they feel he should be better served not traveling, not sitting on planes, not being in a hotel, and getting the best possible medical evaluation he can get here. And of course, that's you know it, it's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it's a pretty important tip when you're talking about Devin Booker, but Landry Shamit's been ruled out tonight. Still no Cam Johnson, of course. 
no, still a campaign. We're still waiting on the Jay Crowder trade. That this put this point now feels like January fifteenth is sort of the next day where something could happen on that because December fifteenth has come and gone and there's been no trade. The Suns are a beat up unit, and now more than ever, Tim are looking towards, and I'm not saying it's enough, but they're looking towards the players to whom they have invested millions and millions of dollars to get them through this without Devin Booker. Talking about Chris Paul, talking about DeAndre Ayton, talking about Mikel Bridges, and it just doesn't feel like it's near enough for them to compete with what they've got, that these, that these, Chris Paul's in a different category. I'm not going to call him a role player, but that the fading star of Chris Paul and that the true nature of just being role players of Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Ayton is really being exposed in moments like this right now. It's the inconsistency. They both have it in them to have major impact. Talking about Bridges and yes. Aiton right yes. now. Yes. They have it in them to be major impact scores. Uh, Aiton's numbers are still pretty good, but it's the impact, right? It's the ability to put the team on his shoulders one night and go out there and beat the Grizzlies and beat the Nuggets or beat the Celtics Yeah, because DeAndre Ayton wouldn't let you lose. Right. Like, that hasn't happened. No, it hasn't. Right. And, and, and part of it still, and I, and I don't know if I'm saying this in defense of DeAndre or if it just reveals some of his flaws, is that he's still so dependent on guys to feed him the rock, right? Like, he's just not going to go out there and create his own stuff. He can't go out there and create his no, own stuff. And because of that, that, that's that. Now, the Suns chose to give that guy $30 million a year, but those flaws are still very, those limitations are still very much a part of who he is as a basketball no, and, player. And, and maybe the Suns could do a better job of, of feeding him the basketball throughout the four quarters. It seems like they go through stretches where they, sure. they're intent on getting him the ball, and then a few possessions go by, or more than a few possessions go by and he doesn't get that ball. No, some of that on DA for not demanding the basketball, as it, as we say in the coaching world, making yourself big in the post and demanding that ball and, and, and sealing off your defender and saying, give me the give me the blank damn rock right now mm-hmm. and, and let me go to work. Having said all that, Mikel Bridges is the other one. Now, Bridges is a guy, the, the vacillation between uh, big-time scoring nights and nights like the other night, it, it, they're just too frequent now, where, yes, he's still a young player. And I asked James Jones about this last week uh, on this show. It, at some point, is, is it just we, we're going to demand more and expect more as Mikel gets older? Or at some point, is this just who Mikel Bridges is as a player? We just can't. He's just not going to be that guy that you can take the Sharpie out and every time he plays, you put in 23 points. Mm-hmm. He, 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 there, he'll have nights where he gets you 27, but there are nights where he's just going to have seven or eight points and it's incumbent upon the organization to make sure that there's enough firepower around him to make up for those nights that when he has eight to ten points, you can still go out there and beat a basketball team. That's pretty good on the other side of the court. But it's tough because you're down Johnson, you're down Booker, and Chris Paul's not quite back yet as a major offensive threat. You need more out of Bridges each and every night, especially against some of the better teams in the league. And it's just not there in his toolbox. And the last thing I'll say about it, and this is almost, it's frustrating because it defies logic almost, Bernsey, and it defies science, if you will. But it seems to me like Bridges and Ayton are actually more efficient and can be pro- proficient scorers when they're not looked upon as primary 
and secondary options within the offense. In other words, you yeah. have a better chance of getting a great scoring night out of Mikel Bridges when he's a third option behind, say, Booker and Johnson than he is when you need him to be a first or second option. That that I read this morning in uh, Gerald Bourget's story about the Suns on PHNX Sports, and I think it, I think it perfectly encapsulates what you're talking about. Mikel Bridges in the month of December is shooting about 39% from the floor. Well, who have they been missing in the month of December? They've been missing a lot of Devin Booker, right? They've been missing a lot of Chris Paul. They've been missing a lot of guys who are there to take those big shots in those big moments, to be the leading point getters for a team on a nightly basis. Too often in the month of December, and by the way, the Suns are, I think, 4-9 and nine in December, if I remember right. I believe, I believe that's the record in December. Too often, Mikel Bridges has become the number two option for a team that's missing its true number one or missing its true number two. Four and nine? Is that, did I get it right? Okay. Four and nine. Four and nine. I think those two numbers directly go hand in hand. I mean, because Mikael Bridges is, is required many of these nights. I mean, like tonight against Memphis, Mikael Bridges needs to be the guy, right? I mean, he certainly needs to be one of the top two guys on this team if they're going to have a chance against Memphis. And if he has one of those nights, they have a shot. But if he doesn't, and if he's struggling, and if he's pressing to be that guy, it sort of reveals that maybe he's just not there. And is he going to get there? I don't know. But right now, the Suns, to survive this time, need him to be there. And he's just not getting to that level enough on a nightly basis. I could almost bet my house that if Mikel Bridges scores 12 or fewer points tonight, the Suns will not win. Yeah. and Will not win again. And it's a credit to them. The Mikel Bridges for the night he had the other night against Denver. That's now it was Landry Shamit. Obviously, he tied a career high with 31. He's out tonight too with an injury. I forgot to mention him when I was running through all the guys who aren't going to play for the Suns. Shamit was the reason why they were in that game. Shamit was doing a very, very good Devin Booker impersonation for most of that game, scoring almost that will. Uh, with no Shamit tonight and not being able to count on Shamit to be that guy consistently, you need Mikel Bridges. And we haven't even talked about Chris Paul. And, and I mean, I like, like I'm not worried about Paul yet. I'm, 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 okay, I'm I there. Know you are. I'm you there. are worried. I'm there. I'm there. I'm, I'm worried about Chris Paul. I would check back with me in late February. Okay, and I'll let you know if I'm worried. I, I'm I, now. That doesn't mean I don't reserve the right to change my mind. I do. Nope. You're officially worried. But, but I'm sorry. No, you I'm said, worried. You said but, worried. I, I am. You said spite. No, I, I, I am. I'm. <laughs> I, if he starts, but I'm waiting. He missed. Fifty percent of his free throws against Denver. Well, that's that was that's, that weird. That was to I watch. Know, that's 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 an anomaly. And I, is his shoulder bothering him from that getting popped the other night, or did he just have a bad night? I'm hoping he just had a bad night. He just okay. The whole problem with Chris Paul, okay, is that this team is built for him to be a. A co-star along with Devin Booker. I, I'm thinking of the okay. I'm thinking of the movie Ocean's Eleven. Okay, he's Ocean, rusty. Ocean's Eleven had a lot of stars in it. But he's make rusty. No mistake, yes. that was a George Clooney, Brad Pitt vehicle. Yes. Everybody else was a second. Even Matt Damon was kind of a secondary guy in that. The Suns need him to be George Clooney or Brad Pitt. They yeah. just, they just, they, it's required if they're going to go where they want to go. Chris Paul. Can't be Matt Damon. Chris Paul can't be Don Cheadle. Chris Chris Paul, right? He can't be. Uh, he certainly can't be Carl Reiner, Scott yes. Kahn, or or who's the uh, the uh, Casey Affleck? I'm trying to think of all the guys who are in, in Ocean's Eleven. He you can't, you he really can't be the, those guys. You should call them by their characters. Name. I should. 
<laughs> Chris Paul's got to be Rusty Ryan or Danny Ocean. <laughs> right. I should. He's got to. None of this works if he's not. None of this works if he's not. And I'm worried that those days are gone, gone, gone. I'm very worried about that. As long, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, as long as he doesn't have another injury or a setback, he will get back into better shape. The shot's going to come. He's still, he's just, he's not quite there yet. He missed, he's, first of all, he's old. And then he was going to use the season to get back into shape. I could tell that early on. He was reluctant to shoot. Then he got hurt. Then he missed a month. So he had to start the process all over again. Yeah. And now he's playing without Booker. And he's playing without pain. So, I mean, all these things are kind of, go- they're all messing with him, if you will. I hope you're right. So give me till the end of February. And if it's not back by then, then I'm going to jump you on team, I'm going to jump in with you on team worry. Is, uh, was Brad Pitt's character, his last name was Ryan? Yes. I just remember his Rusty. Rusty Ryan. You learned that in Ocean's 12. <laughs> <laughs> Ocean's Twelve, not nearly as yes, impactful Catherine, as Catherine Zeta Jones would refer to him as Robert Ryan. Uh, yes, oh, okay, Ryan, I, I yes. forgot about that. I, yeah, yes. he's just Rusty. I can't remember the last name. When we come back, if changes are going to happen with the Cardinals front office, how is the on-field product going to be impacted, specifically for certain individuals? We're going to talk about that next on the Burns and Gambo Show. And Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. So the big news today when it comes to the Cardinals is that J.J. Watt basically, in essence, announced his retirement on social media today. I don't think he actually used the R word, but it is, he, he tweeted. He's holding a picture of his son along with his wife um, before the game on Christmas. Koa's first ever NFL game, my last ever NFL home game. My heart is filled with nothing but love and gratitude. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Uh, we think back to uh, Hard Knocks. I think it was the most recent episode last week in which Vance Joseph is talking to somebody on the sideline during practice, and he just keeps saying, first bout, first bout, first bout. There goes the first bout guy right there. First, and he's talking about J.J., of course. Um, so if this is it for J.J., and there's no reason to think that it's not, we it, it's, it's the beginning of what could be a crazy, tumultuous time for the Cardinals organization in terms of change. I think the one thing we could all say with certainty will be here next year is Kyler Murray because the contract dictates it so. J.J. Watt is going to retire, probably wasn't going to resign anyway. Cliff Kingsbury could be out. Steve Kime could be out. Could be a massive shakeup in the front office. Then you start talking about players, Tim, and you start talking about, and they, they I, I, I mentioned this earlier, much earlier. I didn't watch the, the Christmas night game live with the Cardinals. I watched it in full yesterday because I was hanging out with friends and whatnot, enjoying the holiday. I'll allow it. I appreciate that. <laughs> Collinsworth at some point alluded to the idea of maybe it's time to his word or my words, not his to kind of burn this thing to the ground, to take a year where you get your cap in order again, right? Where you kind of rebuild this thing a little bit. And all I could hear when he said that was DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins. 100%. That's all I like. Like that's, it was like blah, 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 blah. And all I was hearing was DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins. Right. DeAndre Hopkins. That's all I could hear. And and now this JJ news and now not knowing for sure how this is going to work out with the front office, Collinsworth might be right. This might be the time for a massive on-field shakeup when it comes to the Cardinals as well. 
it might also be the preferred transaction of DeAndre Hopkins. I would say DeAndre Hopkins enjoyed the early stages of his career here. I'm not sure he's all that happy with the way it's going lately. And now you factor in a uncertain situation at quarterback. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins may seek greener pastures. We'll see what he has to say after mm-hmm. the season. Mm-hmm. Obviously not his call. Let's understand that. But back to the Collinsworth thing, I heard the same thing as you. Looking at what the Arizona Cardinals have, personnel-wise, looking at what there probably will be next year, the uncertainty at quarterback, do you really want to pay a wide receiver that, that amount of money? It's about a $30 million cap hit next year for DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, and there's when you have the ability to maybe, maybe get a first-round pick for him, there's some debate on that. People I've talked to say, some say yes, some say no. I think yes, personally. Mm-hmm. I think if you find the right contending team that thinks they're a receiver away from getting a ring, yeah, they might be willing to part with a with a first round pick. Neither here nor there. I think the J.J. Watt retirement announcement, the 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 positive sign, the, the positive for that for the Cardinals is they no longer have a tough decision to make. Do we do we try to bring J.J. Watt back for a year or two? Uh, the unfortunate thing for Watt and the Cardinals, not for Watt, but for concerning Watt and for the Cardinals is Davey's probably one of their top two defensive players this year. Oh yeah, that's on, on the football field it's now. Hard that's, to replace. That's a massive hole to fill. One hundred percent. But for whoever is calling the shots, if Steve Kimes back, okay. If it's if it's Harris and Wilson in a co GM environment, okay. Or if it's somebody brand new, if it's Sean Payton, they no longer have to make a decision now on J.J. Watt. So in a way, that makes it easier, right? And that money can be sent, spent or allocated someplace else. So in that regard, that's off the table. The Watt dilemma, if you will, yeah. is off the table. But the dilemma exists. That's a whole hell of a lot of production now they have to replace. Mm-hmm. So there's that issue. And then back to what you were saying about, about DeAndre Hopkins. So what are you going to do with Hopkins? What yeah. would you do? What would I do? Yeah, would you trade him? I would trade him. I think I would too. I would trade him. I would too because I just don't. I don't. I don't, I don't know. think you're going to need him next year. I, I just don't know if you're going to need him next year. I don't think he's going to be happy here next year. Uh, I don't know if you're going to get Kyler back in week four, or week five. Uh, you know, it'd be great if you did. But would it be more really like week nine, week ten? I, I, if that's the case, really, what kind yeah, of season are you looking at? And I think I think Kyler's knee injury is the tone setter for all of this. For me, anyway. Yeah. I I, I think you know if Kyler's healthy and going into next season, maybe with a new coach, maybe without, then I'd probably be less inclined to be so quick with my answer to trade DeAndre Hopkins because I'd, I'd, I'd say that depending on the moves that you made, maybe with the right coach, with the right front office guy, you could rebuild this thing into a contender. These things flip very quickly in the NFL. You can be from bad to good, good to bad in a matter of no time. Just look at the Rams, for goodness sakes. But I think because Kyler... Maybe he's back in week three. Maybe he's back in week five. Maybe it's closer to week seven or eight. I think that uncertainty kind of just lends itself to why would you bring DeAndre Hopkins back? You know what? Why? I think I think the honestly, the bigger question is more along the lines of how much you're going to pay Hollywood Brown. Because that that becomes that that's you gave up a first round pick for a wide receiver entering the prime of his career who has a, a previous relationship with Kyler. 
presumably you can't just keep him for two years and let him walk, right? You don't trade a first-round pick unless you plan on keeping him, or do you let him walk? Well, here's the thing. The GM that made that trade, a new GM can be like, listen, I'm not going to compound your stupid mistake with another stupid mistake and give a guy who's not worthy of number one wide receiver money wide receiver money. So maybe new GM, if there is one, trades two wide receivers next year. I just think a new I don't know. A new I mean, G- I don't know. A, a new GM is not bound by what Agreed. you're saying. You know what? You know what? I, I know, like, but, but be bound by the I've got to make this work so that I'm, I, justified. I'm justified in what I did. Right. Yes. You're right. He's a not, new he, GM doesn't care about that. Doesn't care about that. Not, not my, my baggage. Not, 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 my, not, not, not my stuff. Not my fault you were dumb enough to do that. Yeah, right. And you did that out of desperation because your other number one receiver got himself suspended. And that doesn't even get into... Justin Pugh might retire. Rodney Hudson's probably going to retire. Kelvin Beecham's on the last year of his deal. Will Hernandez is on the last year of his deal. You, you, I just named 80% of your right. starting offensive line, whom you've been without for most of the season anyway, but except for Kelvin Beecham, um, you're going to have to make decisions there. You're going to have to replace J.J. Watt. You're going to, I mean, the uh, forget about the off-field stuff for a second. On-field, this could be crazy how different it looks next year. I, I could give you one scenario where you would want to keep DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, just just Sean Payton comes in. He's the GM. He's the head coach. Sean, Sean Payton's not here to rebuild. Sean Payton's here to win and win now. We are going to refortify this team immediately through free agency beginning in March. We are going to draft well. We are going to put competent, better, improved football players on the field at every position where we need to put them. We are going to go out and get the best quarterback available to play quarterback until Kyler Murray's ready to go. Whether that be Jacoby Brissett or whoever, may even be Colt McCoy, whoever. We are playing football in 2023 to win. We are playing to make the playoffs. Yeah. And if Kyler Murray's out for eight games, our plan in those eight games is to win as many as we can. And 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 DeAndre Hopkins is going to be a big part of that. The, we are not here to rebuild in the National We're Football League. We now, are here to win right now. And we are going to improve this team through free agency and the draft immediately. Yeah, could be. That could be an attitude. Could be. When we come back, all the top stories of the day and from the holiday weekend, all in one place. You want to get caught up on everything going on? You're going to next. The four o'clock reset is next on the Burns and Gambo Show.